Welcome to episode 121 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Michelle, Sarah, and Alice. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Michelle, Sarah, and Alice, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. When you came to your first meeting, were people laughing? How did that make you feel? How do you use laughter in your recovery today? As you might guess, our our topic today is laughter. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our experiences as they relate to the topic of laughter. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. Hi, my name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me this morning is co-host Eric. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing great, Spencer. Um, Greetings from Greenwich, Connecticut. Yes. It's uh, looking to be a beautiful day here. Hopefully uh, nice for you, too. Yeah, absolutely spectacular. First morning I've remembered in a while that it's actually cool Mm. and not hot and humid. Yeah, it's a beautiful sunny morning. Awesome. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, laughter. Following a short break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about how we practice these principles in all our affairs. We'll follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. I have a couple of readings here. They're both from the book, How Al-Anon Works, from the stories in the second half of the book. And if you haven't really looked at this book, there's a whole bunch of stories in the back uh, that uh, relate individual people's experiences. And uh, there's some real wisdom in some of those stories. Well, I think probably in all of them, I will say some of those stories touched me much more deeply than others. So the first one uh, comes from a story titled, An Adult Child Uncovers Hidden Secrets. This is on page 207 in the paperback edition, uh, which may be the same in the hardback. I've noticed there's some small differences between the two. Still, I resisted. Almost all the members at this particular meeting were middle-aged wives of recovering alcoholics, What could they possibly have in common with me? But something touched me. Their sharing came from a different place, from the heart, and I began to relate. Despite all our outward differences, we shared the same feelings. I didn't know such unspoken understanding was possible. Most importantly, they smiled and laughed. I'd never spent much time around happiness. I wanted to learn how these people managed to find anything to smile about, so I kept coming back, and my life slowly began to change. The second story is titled Lessons in Faith, and this reading is on page 275 in the paperback edition. That incident convinced me that I needed help more desperately than I wanted to believe and propelled me back to Al-Anon. I was still angry at what I heard. I didn't like the idea that alcoholism was a disease and that I had been affected too. To make matters worse, every time I sat down in a meeting, I cried. I remember little of what was said in those early meetings. I do remember the smiles and the laughter. They made me even angrier. How could any of these people be living with a drunk, I asked myself. If that were the case, they'd be miserable too. But I stayed because I knew how badly I needed help, and I didn't know where else to go. And uh, 
to me, those, uh, those two readings really sort of bracket the experiences that I've heard and felt uh, when, particularly early in the program, when people are smiling and laughing. Um, but I want to start sort of looking back and, and ask the question, so before you came into the program, um, under what circumstances, uh, when, when did you laugh? Um, and maybe, you know, what did you laugh about? How did you laugh? How did that, how was that in your life? Spencer, that was the, first of all, the readings that you found were really good. I, uh, tried to find some in our big book, if I've, I've, I've referred to it as how Eleanor works. It depends on when you're placing me in time because right before program, I, I don't think I had any laughter whatsoever. I mean, I was living in a disease with no recovery. Uh, if if you mean going further back before, because my circumstances were that you know I was in a marriage that was very happy and very a good marriage uh, with two young daughters, uh, and it only turned um, really uh, bad in the last five years. Five years ago is kind of when the disease reared its head. So. Um, you know, prior to uh, the disease taking hold of my ex-wife, you know, we actually laughed a lot, um, traveled a lot uh, with our daughters. Uh, you know, had a had a vacation house up in Vermont, and by all appearances, had a really really happy life together. But it it slowly changed uh, as her disease progressed. And I began to notice it, and when I noticed it, my laughter just evaporated. Mm. I pretty much became sullen, uh, angry, and to the point where people just, I, my, some of my closest friends would comment that I was just, quote, grumpy. Um, I lost my smile. I lost my laugh. I think my facial expression, and I've been working hard on this to change this, almost developed into a permanent frown. Uh, and I've I've looked back and seen photographs of myself, and I became grumpy, that's for sure. That's the best way, best word to use. Just a scowl on my face, and people noticed, and um, very hard to explain to them what the disease was doing. I didn't even identify yeah. it as the cause. I just was miserable and panic-stricken, you know, all that stuff that uh, we came in so heavily burdened with uh, before finding programs. So happy childhood, um, laughed at a lot of stuff. My Both my parents had incredible senses of humor, particularly my mother, and still does. Uh, my father passed away about a month ago. Mm. But my mother still, to this day, 87 years old a week ago, uh, laughs um, and comes up with the funniest stuff. And I'm blessed to have picked up a sense of humor from her that four years, five years into recovery, I'm finding again. So, Yeah, and I hadn't really thought before you mentioned it about the connection between laughter, which is so often an expression of internal joy or happiness, and facial expression, and the sort the reverse of that how yeah. how our facial expression can affect the way we feel in some ways 
and it and it brought back to mind something that happened after I had been coming to Al-Anon for a little bit. Uh, my memory tells me that it was maybe my fourth meeting, more or less. I'd been coming about a month. I was speaking with a couple of my Al-Anon acquaintances. I think after four meetings, they probably couldn't yet call them friends, but people that I had talked to a little bit before, and one of them looked at me and said, you're smiling. I don't think I've seen you smile before. And I wasn't even aware that I was smiling. And I certainly didn't feel like I was at a place in my life where I should be smiling because everything was still shit uh, as, as uh, things are when alcoholism gets really active in a family or things can be, I guess. Uh, certainly I felt that was the way it was. Yeah. The, the everything is shit kind of sums it up. Uh, not, I don't need to go into a lot more than that. Someone who's familiar with living with it, uh, everything is shit. Yeah. That's a pretty good summary of how things were yeah. before recovery for me. But what's interesting you mentioned is, and I guess I brought up, was facial expressions. And, you know, one of my favorite chapters in how Alan works is communication. I think it's chapter 13, I want to say. But quite a didn't that chapter talks about body language and facial expressions. And I learned the hard way that particularly my qualifiers uh, pick up on that and just latch onto it uh, like a badger. I mean, any slight smirk, I mean, if I think I'm just sort of agreeing and my smile appears uh, uh, in some way to them, you know, like a smug response to a comment, it's, I'm attacked. And what was interesting about viewing that and thinking about it after you know, I go back to that chapter quite a bit. Was, my daughter's now a qualifier, lives with me, and she'll likewise, you know, pick up on a body language or a motion movement of my face and turn away in disgust or uh, lash out at me. And what I thought I've been trying to do uh, is trying to, you know, reverse my frown a little bit mm-hmm. over time because I think my facial muscles have just become used to being grumpy and you know my my the physical uh manifestation of my face has been hard for me to reverse and not look always unhappy or having a scowl my, one of my ex-partner used to say it looks like i had a, a look of consternation on my mm. face i had to look it up but it pretty much sums up you know a frown or grumpiness mm-hmm. And I've been working to reverse it, but I got to be careful because my daughter will pick it up as a, a look of smugness, as she put it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's tricky. Yeah, yeah. I, I found this uh, found this section in the book. It's on, uh, on page ninety seven. There's a section titled "How We Say What We Say," yeah. and and it is chapter thirteen, by the way. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, pulled that right out. And uh, right here it says, not only our choice of words, but also our attitudes, facial expressions, and tone of voice can either open a channel or slam a door, regardless of the subject being discussed. And uh, and I think that just reflects really well what you just said. I was looking through uh, some of our daily readers. I don't know if this is a good point to mention, but I bought Alateen, uh, the daily reader, the mm-hmm. red book, a day at a time. And there was actually one reference to humor, 
or laughter, I don't remember which, in it. Of course, my daughter never opened the book, but I have it, and it's July 3rd. And I think, uh, you know, versus all the other readers, it's kind of relevant that maybe we look at Alateen for some guidance on the subject. And the one reference they have is from July 3rd, and I'll read it. It says, alcoholism is serious business, but does that mean we have to walk around looking as if we're carrying the world on our shoulders? Some of us thought so, until we came to Alateen. At my first meeting, I was surprised to find so many people laughing about things I'd always taken so seriously. Quote, you don't laugh about things like this, I thought. But in a strange way, the laughter kept bringing me back. It almost seemed as if it took away some of the hurt and helped me to shrink my problems down to a size that's easier to handle. It was contagious, too. In time, I started to laugh at things I'd done and said. Things that used to be earth-shattering. And did it ever feel good? And then the reminder says, things to think about. Interesting, they put it that way. Instead of today's reminder, it says, things to think about. Mm -hmm. Someone once said that finding the humor in a problem can be the beginning of solving it. As I stick with Alateen, I learn to laugh at myself. Today, I'll find something to laugh about and try to take life just a little less seriously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was thinking about sort of how and when I laughed, how that maybe has changed. And one of the things, I think that when I was younger, laughter was about so it was about, you know, somebody told a joke or I was watching a comedian or a funny movie or something like that. And so I was laughing uh, at, at the humor. Uh, it was about being joyful, uh, just getting off a roller coaster after having you know, had that adrenaline flowing and get off and just sort of laughing uncontrollably from, from that, that adrenaline high. Um, I suppose there might have been some drug-induced laughter at some point there. Um, that's a little fuzzier, but uh, definitely with some experimentation as a youth uh, with with uh, various mood-altering substances. But the, the thing that I don't remember doing, uh, and that I, happens all the time now, uh, particularly in in the context of, of an Al-Anon meeting, is this sort of... Um, I'm going to say self-deprecating laughter, and that's not exactly what I mean. Um, but I think there's, I have a quote here from uh, the author Brene Brown about this kind of laughter. She writes, I learned the most about laughter during the eight years that I was studying shame. Shame resilience requires laughter. In the book, I thought it was just me. I refer to the kind of laughter that helps us heal know as knowing laughter. Laughter is a spiritual form of communing. Without words, we can say to one another, I'm with you, I get it. True laughter is not the use of humor as self-deprecation or deflection. It's not the kind of painful laughter we sometimes hide behind. Knowing laughter embodies the relief and connection we experience when we realize the power of sharing our stories. We're not laughing at each other, but with each other. And that's the kind of laughter that I often find in, in our meetings, uh, you know, I have one, one friend who, whenever she shares, and it's something about her delivery, this, she has this sort of deadpan delivery of these 
really horrible things that happened in her life. And, and the way in which she says it, we all just laugh. I think she brings us into her life. And even though um, we may not have experienced the things she experiences, um, we can feel with her, we can feel that pain with her. And then we can sort of release that pain and say, yeah, we're, we're with you uh, by laughing. And the other thing that happens, and I've done this myself, is, is when um, I, will, I will express something that maybe I did, uh, and, and then I'll say something like, and, and how crazy is that? Then we can all laugh together in understanding and, and, and self-knowing and communing. We can say, I'm with you, I get it. I don't know if you've had that experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. I think uh, in the rooms particularly, because there's so much open and honest sharing, and a lot of it is emotional sharing. I mean, it's not at all uncommon to have tears of laughter and tears of sadness in the same meeting. And it's all about, you know, the phrase that you used, that quote, I'm, I'm with you, I get it, I think is a lot of the benefits of laughing and humor in recovery are that we're, we have a commonality uh, of purpose in coming to these rooms, and it's to feel better. And how better to feel better than to laugh, even laughing at some of the pain. Mm-hmm. In preparing for today, I, I was struggling to find some topics to discuss, and I Google some stuff. And believe it or not, there's an entire industry built around quote laugh therapy. Mm. <laughs> I had no idea, and and you know, I came across somebody uh, who was uh, I won't use his name, but he's he's quote the pioneer in laugh therapy. Uh, and uh, interesting title for your profession, pioneer in laugh therapy. Uh, I suppose if you go to uh, your left therapy doctor, he'll just uh, pres- make you a prescription. It says, you know, take two jokes and call me in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Both of us, I think, had, had, sounds like we had pretty happy childhoods, a lot of joy and laughter in our childhoods. And, and then uh, when we came into the, uh, the alcoholic, uh, family situation that that changed we were unable to find joy in life that in fact and i think i might have heard you say this but uh, that how can i be how can i be happy when when my life is in such misery or whatever when my life is is so messed up how can i how can i be happy it's this sort of i'm not allowed to be happy while things are bad uh, feeling and did did you say that did you did i don't remember exactly no, but I'll take credit for it because it sounds very smart. Um, you know, it goes back a little bit, I think, to the show we did on worry. Mm-hmm. You know, which yeah. it's uh, it's someone shared in a meeting. I won't take credit for this because someone else shared that if I stop worrying, something even worse than what I'm worrying about is going to happen. You know, they almost looked at worry as as a, a remedy or or something uh, to combat whatever they're worrying about. You know, if they're worried about it enough, it wouldn't happen. Um, something along the lines, I think, relates here with, you know, how can I be happy or be laughing when my life is so tragic and mm-hmm. I'm surrounded by crisis and mm-hmm. what what am I going to face when I get home and how am I going to deal with it? 
how could I possibly find any humor in life, any laughter in anything, when faced with all this worry of expected doom and gloom and outcomes that I'm predicting that may never happen. So yeah, maybe laughter is the is antithesis, the right word, uh, of worry. If we can laugh it off, uh, find humor, and find things to smile about, maybe that's an antidote for worry. Maybe we didn't touch on that in that one, but no. good enough now to mention it. You know. I think it might be. I, yeah. As as you were talking, I remembered a situation about 15 years ago when a friend was dying. This is the first friend my age who was was dying of something other than automobile accident or whatever. Uh, he had stomach cancer, and between diagnosis and when he died, it was about six months. So it, was, it felt very, very rapid. I really didn't know how to how to act, how to be around him. But he really made it easy because he continued to enjoy life. This was a guy who who always enjoyed his life, um, who always found found joy and laughter. Uh, at least when I saw him, uh, at one point in his life, he had owned uh, a hobby shop uh, for a particular hobby. And, and one of his quotes that, that we, as his friends, carried with us uh, for, for a long time was, man, I love this hobby. And, and I think that was his expression of life. And so when we would get together uh, during this period of time, when, when he knew that he didn't have very much time left, and I'm sure he was in some pain. Uh, they, he had been sent home from the hospital basically with palliative care. Uh, I don't. Th- I think they did what they could, and then it was, well, we'll see what happens kind of situation. And We would get together, and he would just be himself. I mean, maybe he was a little slower. Maybe he had to, had to take a rest more often, but his personality didn't change, and that, and that he still found joy in being together. He still was able to laugh. And, and in the last, the last time I saw him just a few weeks before he died, a bunch of us had gotten together to, to do a little project that, that he had been sort of working on for the last year. And so I'd try to finish it up. And, and at the end of the day, we were all sitting around and he said, he said, you know, I'm the luckiest man in the world because I get to say goodbye to all of you. You know, he didn't descend into that place that I certainly got to uh, during during the uh, the alcoholic drinking years in my family. Uh, he didn't he didn't go to that place of everything's horrible and I can't ever be happy because he was, even though he was about to die, he was at peace with it and he was enjoying being with his friends and with his family, and it was an, it was really an amazing thing to see. In some ways, I'm I'm really grateful that that he was the first friend that I had to go through this experience with because he was able to sort of give me this positive uh, thing that came out of, out of his death. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Uh, You know, just thinking back on people I know, and some reason this just popped into my head, maybe because I 
played 18 holes of golf yesterday for the first time in about two years. And it's the people I remember being happy people. I tend to not remember anything bad about them. I, I, I had this mental image of a friend, for instance, from high school that was always smiling. And not a dopey smile, an actual smile of joyous celebration of life kind of thing. And I don't, the golf reference was... Someone told me a while ago, you know, we don't remember the horrible shots we had. We tend not to remember the shots we had that went into the parking lot and uh, broke somebody's windshield. We remember the the ones that were just perfect. My drive that was 270 yards straight down the fairway, which I had a couple of yesterday. Uh, And it's strange. Maybe our higher power gives us a gift by trying his best to you know, bury the, the bad memories faster than the good and uh, helping us recall uh, the times we laugh um, and what was happening at, at those moments that made life less heavy. And, you know, I just wrote some, if you were to do one of those tests with a psychiatrist and he said, think of a word when I say something, what's your word? And uh, that comes to mind when I say laugh, I'd say happy. And uh, when I say humor, what would you say? And I'd say joy. And the opposite would be if I'm sad, I would respond with the word frown. So, you know, I think for me anyway, my program is about finding happiness. And for anyone, whatever that, however you define it, for me, I quickly identified coming into the program that serenity, some peace of mind in my life was why I was in these rooms almost day one. So that's my goal. I mean, it's in our preamble. It's, it's the serenity prayer. Um, I was looking for some peace of mind in a world that was just spinning out of control. And what that for me, that word or definition of the word serenity, peace of mind has enabled me to find some happiness again and laughter, finding humor again in my life, which has been buried for a long time. It's Mm -hmm. finally coming back to the surface. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who, when he talks about his experience coming into the program, he says, uh, he came into the program some some years back now when his son was in high school and, and spinning out of control and dealing drugs, doing drugs. And he said, I would come to a meeting and... I would get a little bit of serenity and a little bit of peace of mind. And that might last until I got to the parking lot. And then as I came to more meetings, it it might last halfway home. And I think I heard you saying that, that, that coming to meetings, doing this, I'm with you. I get it feeling that I get and, any meeting I go to, whatever the topic is, there's this feeling. And I got it in my very first meeting. I got it in my very first meeting that the people in that room were with me, that they got it, that they understood the pain, the the confusion, the anger, the fear that that I was feeling. And And nobody said that to me directly, but I got it. I got that feeling, and and that brought me back to my second meeting, and it continued to bring me back until I had 
calmed down enough, maybe is a word. I had found enough calm to, to actually be able to start to hear the message. But that message of, we're with you, we get it, was there from the beginning. And that meetings became a place where I could start to smile again, as, as, the, as I related in a, a little earlier, that where I could start to laugh at what was going on, where I could start to let go of the grip that these things had on my life, partly by laughing at them, partly by hearing other people laugh at, at laugh about. I don't want to say laugh at. It's really laughing about. It's laughing about the, the, the pain, the confusion, the craziness, and finding some humor there, finding that this is not, this is not just misery, that, that if I step back and look at it, it's ironic, it's um, surprising. So much laughter comes from surprise. The punchline of a joke, what makes the punchline of a joke funny is you didn't see it coming, right? It gives you a little bit of a twist. And, and when I can step back and I can look at my life with that little bit of a twist on it, I can start to see some humor and I can start to, to relax and, and find some calm and serenity because of that humor. Um, and I think that was just really important, particularly early in my recovery, but it's still important because my God, we talk about some really painful stuff sometimes in our meetings and, a couple of weeks ago, I was at my step meeting, and as is the tradition in this meeting, the first Saturday of the month, one of the tables, uh, because we do this table meeting thing in Michigan, one of the tables uh, is is working through the Blueprint for Progress uh, four-step workbook, and we have been, over the last several months, going through the chapter on sex. And one of the members at the table has been relating some stuff that's really hard. Uh, really hard to to understand sort of how this is happening um, and but through talking about it um, this person has really I think I've seen it over the last several months has come to a better acceptance of it a better acceptance of of this what the situation is and maybe um, what the what the possible options are and and they did it by laughing um, they would they would talk about this thing and and then and then laugh and kind of a bitter laugh but still laugh and expressing the relief and being able to say something to bring it out and to bring it out and to see the the humor and the irony in the situation that they're in um, and uh, it, it's just pretty amazing how that works. Yeah, I uh, I heard something funny about someone's asking, you know, after years and years in the program, why we keep coming back, even with the qualifiers long gone, uh, ex-wife or parent that's deceased, and why do we keep coming back to meetings? And someone responded without missing a hitch, well, I come back because we can't all be crazy on the same day. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want to hear. I want to hear some sanity. I heard a great. A great one. Somebody said uh, they have a new step, which is thirteen. Step thirteen, which is a combination of steps one and two, which is uh, my life is unmanageable, and I want to share it with you. 
Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, it's a place where we can share our un- unmanageability and laugh about it. Exactly, and, and it's just it's just an incredibly uh, effective way to unburden us, even for a moment. And I loved your story about you know when someone started coming in, even after the first meeting, they felt better until they left the room, and then after months, they felt better uh, even in the car ride home. And I think this is such a gradual program. You know, the point is to, again, take the tools from the room and apply them to life. And, you know, getting to step 12 or 13 uh, is about using them in our in our daily affairs. And laughter in the rooms uh, helps us, helps me find humor in things that are very difficult to process. And when now, after working my program pretty hard for four years, I'm finding that I'm able to carry that attitude into life outside the rooms and use that tool. And I don't know if we can call it a tool, but I think laughter is absolutely qualifies as a tool mm-hmm. in recovery. Yeah. Uh, humor and laughter, and uh, I'm finding things funny um, throughout the day that I would have missed. I would absolutely have missed before recovery. Right, which is the, the attitude thing. Yeah. That when I'm in an attitude of despair and hopelessness i don't i don't see the joy that that is there waiting for me i don't see the even the little the little joys the little moments of of humor the little moments of that i can be grateful for i don't see them because of my attitude and when when i can cultivate an attitude of at least calm Stillness, serenity, uh, an attitude of acceptance, an attitude of uh, happiness, perhaps, when I can cultivate. And I'm not going to say make myself into that attitude because you can't really do that, but I can, I can cultivate it. I can recognize it when it's there. And I have tools to help me cultivate that. I have tools such as uh, gratitude. Uh, we talk about attitude of gratitude, but it's really about being able to recognize little things that went right, little things that were just a moment of brightness in a, in a gray day. And that helps me m- m- cultivate an attitude of attitude of gratitude, attitude of happiness, uh, move me out of that, that attitude of everything's wrong with the world and it's never going to get better that, that I have been in. Um, which is different, and I and I just want to recognize that that sometimes that attitude comes from clinical depression, and and just changing changing my thinking is not necessarily going to help that. Um, that that if it's a matter of brain chemistry, then you know you really ought to see a, a, a doctor who can help you with that. Uh, but if it as it was for me, if it's a situational depression um, where I'm just miserable because I'm miserable because I feel like my life is miserable, I can change that. And, and I can't always necessarily change it by myself. And coming into a meeting, hearing, we get it, we're with you, uh, hearing the laughter, finding, finding humor in my own situation helps to move me out of that attitude of misery into um, a more positive place. And, and in that in that process, being able to laugh can be a real healing force and a real um, help to move me uh, back into back into the person that I used to be. Uh, 
because I I just remember as a younger person being happy most of the time. And and that certainly wasn't true later. I don't know. You have uh, other thoughts about laughter? Laughter is healing. Yeah, actually, I do because I uh, again looked around the internet for stuff on laughter and left and found laughter therapy and lots of articles. Uh, WebMD and Huffington Post had a great one where they, uh, you know, were making a case for laughter as the best medicine. Laughter is the best medicine. We've heard that mm-hmm. phrase, and uh, they actually went further with it to see if it actually does have medicinal values or healing powers, and found that it actually does, and did some pretty intense studies uh, where uh, one of them that I recall uh, reading took, I think it was some elderly seniors, and put them in a room and stuck them in you know one group in front of the TV watching, uh, I don't know, America's Funniest Videos, or Whose Line Is It Anyway, one of my favorites. And took the, you know, the control group and set them in a room with, I don't know, donuts or something. And then brought them together and quizzed them about things that had happened prior in the day, I guess, that they arranged. And found that the group that had spent, you know, a concentrated 20 minutes laughing had something crazy like double the cognitive abilities to remember hmm. uh, things from earlier in the day. Hmm. Yeah, so not only that, they went on to say how it, you know, increases endorphins to the brain and just provides a general feeling of well-being by finding things to laugh about. Awesome, awesome. I want to close here just with a very brief quote from another one of my favorite authors, Anne Lamott, who said, Laughter is a bubbly, effervescent form of holiness. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. And the first uh, musical selection that we chose for this episode, and you can listen to this on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 121, is Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. The song is Tears of a Clown. I picked this song because it, it exemplifies a different kind of uh, an experience with smiles and laughter, which is the person who, and we didn't really talk about this, but the person who's smiling on the outside, the person who's pretending that everything is just fine, um, and tears of a clown because the smile of a clown, of course, is painted on. They're always smiling, except for the ones that are sad, but we won't go there. And I think that I can I can definitely relate to this feeling when the, the time before I came into program, the time when I was pretending to the outside world that our life was just fine, uh, but on the inside I was falling apart. Uh, and uh, and so that's where what this song brings to me is this sort of the the early experience, sort of pre recovery of smiling when I didn't mean it, laughing when I didn't mean it. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. 
what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And I'm actually going to cover several weeks because it has been several weeks since uh, I last recorded an episode. As you as you may recall, I was going uh, up to Vancouver, Canada to go to a family wedding. Uh, one of my cousins was getting married. And so I spent uh, almost a week uh, in the company of family. Uh, not exactly 24-7. I had my own hotel room, but I was dependent on other people for transportation, etc. Uh, and uh, and we spent a lot of time together. And so even though, uh, as far as I know, there's there's nobody uh, in in an alcoholic situation or anything at the, in the family at this point, uh, it's still family. It's still stressful uh, and, and travel is stressful. And so I was getting a little crazy. Uh, and uh, on Saturday, I, I drove my sister and her fiance to the airport. Uh, they had a rental car, which they let me use for the rest of the day because my flight out wasn't until late Saturday night. And I drove them to the airport at six in the morning on Saturday and I had put out an appeal uh, in a little very, very short podcast episode, if you will. I put out an appeal to say, hey, if uh, you live in Vancouver or if you know of meetings in Vancouver and you have recommendations, please, please let me know. And from that, I got one response, which was all I needed um, because uh, this person, and thank you very much uh, for this, uh, sent me a recommendation for a meeting on Saturday morning. At, at 9.30, and so I had plenty of time between going to the airport and the meeting, which I used to get some coffee and donuts at a, at a coffee shop nearby to take a walk on the beach uh, and then go to the meeting. And I was really grateful to find a meeting, and I sat down, and it felt just just at home. You know, same opening, um, people sitting in a circle, sharing. Uh, and this particular meeting, the sharing went around a circle in order, uh, Topic was Tradition 5, which just felt perfect because there I was. Tradition 5 meant that there was a meeting for me to go to. Uh, and uh, and the sharing didn't quite get to me. And I was like, ah, I wanted to say something. you know. So um, I just spoke up and said, I just want to thank you all for being here. I'm 2,000 miles from home, and I'm glad that there's a meeting for me to go to. And then afterwards, a few people came up to me and, and said, oh, really, where are you from? And, said, you know, and, and I was able to have some conversation. But it just is, it's so wonderful to be able to go 2,000 miles away from home to another country and still find a meeting when I needed it. Um, and the other experience that I had that day, very recovery-related, I felt, I went and visited the Botanic Garden at the University of Br- British Columbia, which is an amazing botanic garden, by the way. So uh, if you're into plants and forest and gardens and all that good stuff, um, I, I recommend it as, a, as a, a great experience. And one of the add-ons that they offered was a Japanese Zen garden visit. And I thought, well, that would be cool. And she said, no, it's, it's a 20-minute walk. It's at the other end of campus. I was like, okay, you know, fine. It was a 20-minute walk. I kept walking and walking and walking and like, am I there yet? Am I there yet? Uh, and I got there, and I went in, and it was this oasis of calm, uh, of this you know manicured, uh, manicured wildness, if you will, that you find in in Japanese gardens. I don't know if you've you've been to one, but that they're they're very carefully all the rocks and all the moss and everything is very carefully placed, surrounded by. And this is the thing that was amazing to me about Vancouver, surrounded by these hundred foot tall fir trees and cedar trees, just uh, 
um, everywhere. I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is is dubbed Tree City, and we do have a lot of trees. But I'll tell you what, Vancouver, the tree experience is totally different from what I've got here. Um, just always seeing these these huge straight trees going way up to the sky. Anyway, so I went in this garden and I found some places where I thought, oh, I'll sit here and meditate a little bit. There was a waterfall and there was um, just, you know, little spots where there was some beauty to, 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 to sort of focus on. And I, I was sitting at the waterfall and trying to just sort of let the water sound wash over me and and be in the moment and not be thinking about, uh, the things that were coming ahead, the things that had happened in the past week, and my mind was just racing because there was so much that had gone on. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I have to take a picture of this waterfall because I had my camera with me. Uh, and and that sort of, you know, these thoughts kept coming in, like, oh, let's do, do this, do this. And and I didn't feel at each of these places where I stopped and tried to pause and, and be a little contemplative, I didn't really feel like I was getting it. I didn't really feel like I was doing it right. There's that, um, I don't know, that thing from my upbringing, you know, I have to do it right. My perfectionism, I have to do it right. And so I left the garden after maybe an hour. And as I was walking out, I just felt this sort of lightness this looseness of spirit. It's sort of like uh, if I go and get a massage, I can't really tell during the massage whether it's really helping or not. Uh, or when I used to go to the chiropractor, it's like, okay, I'm lying here, and he's like poking me and stuff. Uh, but then I would get up, and everything would feel a little bit looser. I would feel a little bit taller. And, and this was the same thing, but it was of the spirit rather than the body. And I realized that even though it hadn't felt to me like I was succeeding at my meditation, succeeding at being in the moment and contemplative, obviously something had happened. There had been some positive effect there. And, and I think that's, that's a reminder to me about progress, not perfection, about acting my way into right thinking about faking it till I make it because there were times in there where I felt like I was faking it. Hey, I'm sitting still and I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at the tree. Uh, I'm just looking at the waterfall, but I'm not really because blah, 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 what's going on in my head. But even just doing that action, even though I didn't feel like I was succeeding at it, even though I didn't feel like I was doing it right, it still worked. Um, and, and so that, that was a good reminder for me. Work has been crazy. Um, we're, we, we have this, what we call a success plan, uh, to get the things we need to get done by the, done by the time that we need to get them done by. And it's been, it, it entails working hard and sometimes working overtime. And, and last weekend, uh, I had been wanting to put together an episode and, basically ended up working all day Saturday and most of the day Sunday. Uh, and I put down like 15 hours together for Saturday and Sunday on my timesheet, which doesn't change how much I get paid. I don't know. They just want to account this thing. And I was like, yeah, I work these things. I'm going to tell you I work these things. Um, and uh, actually 20 hours for the two days. Now that I think about it. Yeah. So 40, 60 hour week instead of a 40 hour week, which I try to do. I try to do a, a 40 hour week under normal circumstances because work is steady work is I, there's always more work to do 
and I'm trying to take care of myself. But th- that that particular weekend, there were some things that we had a deadline they needed to get done, and so I was there doing them. In consequence, of course, no podcast episode. That's the way that goes uh, sometimes. Uh, and uh, I think you know, I think that's what I'm going to talk about for recovery uh, in the in the last few weeks. Uh, mostly my experience while traveling of of still being able to bring some of my recovery tools and, and a meeting into my life. How about you, Eric? Yeah, well, I've been sleeping since last Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> this week, <laughs> I just woke up this morning to do the podcast, and I'm going to go back to sleep. Uh, this week, let's see, I led the uh, my Thursday home group meeting on step eight, which... Uh, we go by the month for the first Thursday of the month with the step of the month, and it was eight, which is perfect. Couldn't work out better because uh, with my sponsor, I just kind of finished up, I think, seven. And so starting on eight, I had a good opportunity to have, you know, actually it was a, it was a, the perfect dozen meeting with 12 of us. And I think the 13th came in to read the tradition. So it was a perfect baker's dozen meeting. And uh, they helped me by reading back. I actually took the book, the workbook, I think it's uh, not past to recovery, but there's a new spiral workbook. Reaching for personal freedom. There you go. And actually, uh, I, I uh, passed it around the room, and amazingly, everyone read a paragraph, or at the end, the questions, and it came back to me, and the and the section was completely finished. So there were 12 readings and 12 pieces of, to read, and just <laughs> amazingly, it came back, the book was circulated back to me, and we, we had finished the chapter. And so I thank them for uh, helping me cheat my way through reading that. But it actually was helpful to hear other people's tone of voice and mm-hmm. uh, intonation and take on each of the sections. So that was the Thursday uh, hour and a half meeting. And then actually uh, I double-dipped on Thursday and went to an evening meeting. felt I needed to... Uh, daughter's given me some challenges, so I went to that, and it was a newcomer meeting at the local hospital, and again, about 10 or 12 members, mostly newcomers, but the leader chose the slogan, how important is it, which was perfect, again, and Saturday was my men's group meeting, and topic there chosen by someone was anxiety, always a crowd pleaser, mm-hmm. and <laughs> then... Uh, and again, that was perfect because I was feeling anxiety at that moment from some things my qualifiers were sending me. And then a few times during the week, I think I either shared on the phone bridge. I typically try to do the 6 a.m. phone meeting where it reads our three daily readers. And I think I hosted one of the after meetings. Uh, spoke with my sponsors mm, three or four times during the week, twice last night. And so some other challenges with my daughter, but and I'm going for a motorcycle ride with my sponsor this afternoon after a meeting. So we'll try. been a good week for recovery, and then did this podcast. Forgot about that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, been a busy week in recovery. And I, as you said, you know, and someone said to me, I never feel worse after going to a meeting, and quite often feel quite a bit better. Yeah, and and if I I, I do want to add on a little bit because. Oh, totally forgot the other thing that happened this week, which is I turned 60. And hey, look at that. Yeah, and, and wow. so Thursday, which was the day before my birthday, uh, I had a party with, I don't know, I think maybe 30 people came. Uh, been, 
had it at a local restaurant and uh, it was very nice at the end of the evening the the server who'd been attending to us said to me you have a very very nice group of friends i said thank you and then i made a well, little they, joke they, of course. they came for the food obviously of course they came for the food there's, yeah. there's free food yeah. you just happen to be hosting the way yeah. that they could yeah. get it uh-huh. yeah <laughs> and i made a little joke i said well i didn't invite the assholes <laughs> but honestly i invited i invited all of the people that i consider friends and so i think um if i could take a little bit of credit that i have surrounded myself with a good group of people uh, in many different walks of life and and it was fun seeing the people that didn't know each other because they came from different parts of my life whether it was recovering community church neighborhood uh hobby group work all I mean, people tended to hang out together with people they knew, but they also talked to people they didn't know. And, and seeing seeing some of these people uh, connecting with each other just because they were both friends of mine was kind of fun, too. And then Friday, I took the day off of work. And, you know, I've been taking these when I had dubbed Mental Health Fridays this summer, but that one was sort of double because it's also my birthday. And um, spent the day with my sister and had dinner with some friends and it was it was a very nice uh, day. A little bit of driving through the Michigan countryside, uh, which was is, is beautiful this time of year. And it was a beautiful day. I think it was seventy five degrees and sunny. Uh, could hardly nice. have been better. So had that had that celebration. And and Friday, she said, "Well, how do you how do you feel now that you're sixty? I said, "You know, today doesn't really feel any different than yesterday, but over." Over the last couple of months, I've been sort of thinking about, well, what does it mean that I'm now entering uh, my seventh decade of life, uh, having completed 60 years and, and moving forward into the decade in which I will probably be retiring. And, and now that, as I reflected a few weeks ago in the Father's Day episode, uh, you know, my children are adults now and, and my life is no longer focused around them, uh, about getting them to adulthood because they are. And, you know, whether whether they'll continue to be independent uh, as they currently are, who knows? But but right now it feels like that is no longer the focus of my life. And so it, it didn't change from one day to the next, but it, it definitely has brought me to think about where my life is, where my life is going as I as I get older. Uh, so it was a big change this week, sort of. <laughs> And boy, are you getting older. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I 60. know. I know. 60. 60. Wow. Start start planning the funeral. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my parents are in their 80s. Uh, I had one one great aunt who made it to 101. So we'll see. What's your, what's your uh, I think we said this in the previous, what's your epitaph going to say on your headstone? Oh, God, I haven't thought about that. I told um, you I was sick. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. No, actually I I don't plan to have a, a grave. Um, okay. I'm one of these cremate me and, and scatter my ashes somewhere special guys. I like that. Maybe in maybe up in the uh pine trees of Vancouver. Maybe, who knows, yeah. Um I will live on in the memory of family and friends. Well, let's move forward. Uh, we have a couple of upcoming topics that I know I'm gonna do. That include imperfection. I've been reading a book by Brene Brown called The Gifts of Imperfection, and it really sparked some thoughts that I'm trying to put together an episode around. If you have thoughts about 
what are what are the gifts that you've found from imperfection? Uh, let us know. Uh, send an email, or drop us a voicemail, or however that works, and uh, and we'll include your voice in that episode. The other episode that I'm really wanting to put together from uh, other people's voices is Alanon Dreams. Uh, tell us tell us about your dreams that are maybe program related, maybe related to the alcoholics in your life, uh, a relapse or recovery, or or I've had a couple come in uh, about this feeling of being out of control uh, and with a comment that, and, and then since I've been coming to, to Al-Anon, I haven't had this dream. Do you think this dream is related to, to Al-Anon recovery issues? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you think? Yeah, I qualify. <laughs> um, and so really broad topic, uh, uh, but we'd love to hear your voice and I'd love to really hear your voice uh, by, uh, you know, voicemail or, or other means. And actually there's a question later from uh, a listener about how to, how to contribute uh, his voice. And uh, we'll get to that in a moment. So we welcome your thoughts, uh, join the conversation, leave a voicemail or send an email. Eric, how can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now. Uh, to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer, if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send an email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope on your questions about today's topic of laughter or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And you can find out everything you need to know about The Recovery Show at our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. We uh, you can also leave comments on the website. That's another way to to share your experience or to give us feedback. So just hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. I also say the phone number and the email address are on the website. So if you only remember one thing, it's therecoveryshow.com. Uh, share that with your friends, and uh, you can always find what you need to know about the show by going there, hopefully. So, Eric, we have uh, a second song selection that you chose. We kind of went back and forth with this one, and, um, you know, I was thinking about Happy by William Farrell, I think it is, which yeah. is just an incredible song that you just can't help but be happy listening to. But um, the last minute, we changed it up. And I put a song by Jason Mraz, my favorite artist who seems to be in recovery himself. Um, and it is, what is the title again exactly? What Mama Says? What Mama Say, and I think, but yeah. What Mama Say? What Mama Say. And there's really no deep meaning behind this other than uh, you're going to laugh your ass off when you're, when you're listening to it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. Good enough. Yeah, I it, I played a bit of it this morning, and and I just started chuckling right away. Almost, yeah. So. My two daughters recited, uh, you know, word <laughs> for word as it's playing in the back seat of the car, and I almost have to pull over and beat myself or get out of the car to stop swerving with uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely maniacal uh, laughter. And, so and it's uh, fun. I'm sure they this put was, a, a nice little twist on the. Uh, they on the do. They too. do funny, funny twists in body languages and contorted faces. It's absolutely hysterical. A song to dance to, maybe. All right. Yeah. 
we got uh, got some emails and voicemails this week. Uh, start uh, with one. Let's see. Could you read this one for Mary? Okay. So Mary writes, Hi, Spencer. I discovered your show about four months ago, and I've listened to about 30 episodes now. I stated I had started with Al-Anon when my loved one went into treatment a year and a half ago. But after going to six meetings, I decided I would do it on my own with reading the literature which I have consumed. You had an episode on face-to-face meetings, which, along with my frustration about my loved one's relapse, got me back into going to meetings. I've gone to about 15 cents, so thank you for that. On episode 119, you had talked about the show as qualifying as a meeting and the possible constraints that might impose. I, for one, have appreciated the outside resources you provide and have followed your leads. Anne Lamott, Brene Brown, Songs, Recovered Cast. These things have added depth to my program, program, and I'm not sure I would have found them on my own. I think you do a great service with your show, as it is. And for me, you illuminate the Al-Anon principles in a way that is different than what I get at meetings. It's all good. Thank you for being there, Mary. And and thanks, Mary, for that uh, perspective. And I've gotten that perspective about uh, the the non-Al-Anon content uh, in in the podcast being helpful. And that this is really about um, you know us who people who are in recovery sharing sharing our experiences of recovery. With focus on the Al-Anon program, but not not completely. So thanks for that. Uh, Eric sent in a question. He says, good morning, Spencer. I hope your trip north was enjoyable. I noticed the episodes are not dated. I would enjoy knowing when these topics were recorded. It sometimes helps me to know or consider the topic, placing myself in a time frame on the share. I do this often myself by dating the readings from our conference-approved literature in the margins. I use this little tool to note my progress, which is sometimes unnoticeable, but this seems to help by lending some perspective to my time and place and seeing if my attitude on the subject has changed when or if I go back and revisit it at a later date over time. Some thoughts while shaving. Eric. Hey, that was me. That was you. Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> didn't necessarily want to say, but uh, yeah, that was you. So there's a couple, a couple of thoughts there. I mean, if you go on the website and you go to the particular episode, uh, which you can always go by number, uh, therecoveryshow.com slash uh, whatever the episode number is. Uh, there is a date. Uh, I think at the bottom of the posting on the website, there's the date it was posted. So that's that's one thing. Um, my well, application... My mouth. Yeah, it's, it's, they're there. They're <laughs> well, there. It's not necessarily obvious. Uh, the, the application that I use for listening to the podcast, I use the Downcast application uh, on my iPhone. Uh, it, in at least one of its views, uh, shows the date uh, that a podcast was posted, and so um, it is there. It may be subtle, uh, but if you do want to know the date, it is it is available. Uh, and I hadn't really thought about this this idea that uh, although I do this sometimes in in the literature, uh, you know, my Saturday morning meeting, uh, we we always read about the step from uh, the uh, past to recovery book, and so it's interesting for me to note. Uh, you know what I underlined, what notes I wrote in the margin, uh, maybe different colors of pen for different different times I was in the book, uh, and you know what I what what spoke to me then and what speaks to me now. I did not ever put a date in, so I don't know when I underlined that. 
I might have underlined it the first time I was working the steps. I might have underlined it the second time I was working the steps or whatever, or I might have underlined it in a meeting. Um, but it, it, it is a tool. It is, wow, this was really important to me then, but now these other words speak to me uh, because I've moved forward, I've moved on and, and, and changed. So that it is a good tool, and thanks for suggesting that. Um, let's see. Uh, Brian called in with a question. Um, he, uh, he left a voicemail that uh, was a little noisy. And so, uh, and since the essence of it was his question, he wants to know how he can send his share or his story to be played in the show. Uh, and he points out that the voicemail button on the website limits you to a minute and a half at a time. The Google voice uh, phone number cuts off at three minutes. And so if he wants to leave a longer share, how can he do that? And uh, I just, I thought of uh, a few different possibilities and different people have used these actually, all of them, I think. Uh, the the least desirable of the these three possibilities that I came up with is you call back more than once. So you call, you leave your three minutes on Google Voice, then you call back, you leave some more. Uh, that kind of interrupts your thought flow. I have to do a little bit of editing to stick things together. That's not a big deal. Um, or same thing with the voicemail button on the website. You can you can leave multiple. One time, somebody called and left like three or four voicemail messages from the website, and all but the last one were somehow damaged when I tried to download them. Uh, I got nothing, and it was really sad um, because this person was was sharing their own story, and I couldn't I couldn't use it because I only had the last minute or so of it. Um, so. Anyway, but that is a possibility. Um, one thing that, that sometimes people have done is to use the voice memo function on a phone, or a smartphone, or I suppose uh, you know some other way to record audio on your computer if, if that's what you want. Uh, the, the iPhone has a, an application called Voice Memo, and uh, you just start it up, you push the record button, and you start talking, and it will record what you say. And then at the end... Um, you can share it out. If it's not too long, you can probably email it. Um, you can share it using an online file sharing service like Dropbox, or there are, I know there are others that, that different people have used, if you're familiar with any of those. And you can put the file there and share it with me, and then I can pick it up. And, and I know that I'm able to deal with, definitely able to deal with files from the, that voice memo application on the iPhone because I've used it myself. That's how I recorded the Father's Day episode, um, is I recorded it into my phone while I was walking around in the woods and then downloaded it to my computer. So I know that works. And the third way to sh- have a longer share is to uh, arrange with me to have a, a conversation by telephone or by Skype or uh, uh, any of those FaceTime, uh, Google Hangouts, and I can record it at my end. Uh, and then you don't have to worry about how you record it, but we have to coordinate a time that we can do it together. So those are sort of three different ways that I thought of of being able to leave a longer share if you want to do that. So thanks for that question, Brian, because I'm sure there are other people that have been wondering that. And speaking of voicemails, uh, we have a couple. Uh, we have one from Akila, uh, which uh, in response to the question about uh, what do you do in the middle of the night when you're worrying? Let's uh, listen to that. Hey, Spencer, this is Akila. I just listened to the worry episode, and I was calling about the 2 a.m. worrying thing. What I've found that helps me is um, usually, I don't like turning on the light either, but I will journal, and that helps me to at least get the thoughts out of my head. 
and onto paper. Um, that helps, especially if I can't talk to another person. Another thing, though, is that if I'm worrying that I'm in the problem and not in the solution, so one trick that I found is to start thinking in the solution. And so what that means is if I find myself worrying, uh, I may start with the serenity prayer, things I cannot change, and then I things I can. So I start saying, now, what can I change about this? Um, which leads me to what's the next right step. And usually if I just focus on the next right step, I have a plan of action for the next day, which helps me um, stop worrying so much. Another um, thing I do, you were talking about specific situations, and I found that I was still, and I still can do this. My daughter's getting ready to go to, you know, she's getting ready for college and preparing, and it's easy for me to be like, well, if she doesn't do this, then this won't happen and that won't happen. And then I just have to take a step back and make sure that whatever I'm picking up isn't isn't mine, isn't my thing. And I can't make her do some some of the things that I think she should be doing. And they tend to work themselves out. So like you were saying, you and Eric were saying, it's just I've been okay. These things have been okay. And if it's not and she needs help, then I can give her permission to ask. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Akilah. Uh, any thoughts on Akilah's share, Eric? Sure. That that uh, podcast we did on worry, I keep kind of going back to. And, you know, for me, doing this with you, the few I've done, really is a concentrated effort on a on a topic that's been helpful for me to put some issues, think about them from a different angle in a different way, but all helpful, all really good. I love the idea of journaling. I hadn't thought of that, uh, but it's worth a try because waking up and worry is an awful place to be, so mm-hmm. all worth thinking about. All right, and we had a second voicemail from Pat uh, about this, that episode as well, so let's listen. Morning, Spencer. This is Pi from the West Coast. Uh, Sarah was talking about hamster heading in the middle of the night, you know, where your brain's on a little circle and it just keeps running and running and running on the wheel. And a couple tools that I use for that. Uh, one is a serenity prayer, and I've heard people say this before, but recently I had a situation where my daughter and her boyfriend came home, both drunk and fighting. And it was so distressing after it got all settled down. I just sat there and said the serenity prayer over and over again. And what it did for me, I think it really brought me back to a step one place. It really reminded me of what I was powerless over. And it also helped open me up to realizing a couple of things I could do, which included compassion for both of them. But that was, I always heard people talk about that as a tool. And it really does work. It really did work. It a lot of recitations, but I got there. Um, the other one that I use is a variation on the gratitude list that you were talking about. Um, it uses meditation breathing, and as I breathe in, I think I hold my beloved whoever in my arms. And then as you breathe out, I'm grateful for my beloved or for their, say their name. And as you're doing this, you're using meditation breathing, and I visualize the person, my sister taught me this a long time ago, I visualize the person smiling and happy and at a happy time. And it really works well. It's hard to get through my whole list of people for whom I'm grateful in my life for. And even if it seems like everybody in my family is having issues, 
I can run through the ones who are troubled. And then I take myself to Al-Anon, and I imagine the people in my circle that come to the meetings that I go to. So it brings me back to an Al-Anon meeting. It uses a lot of my brain power, having to visualize and recite these things and do the meditation breathing. And it's just a huge comfort, and it, it does really get me out of that space of hamster heading. So there's just a couple couple tools. Thanks so very much again for your show, Spencer. It's invaluable. Bye-bye. Thanks, Pat. Um, I think I've, I've heard of this technique of, of holding your loved one um, in your thoughts, but holding them, holding them in a position of, of love and happiness, that's, I think that's new to me. Uh, Eric, any thoughts? Yeah, I like that. Um, hadn't thought of it. I've heard someone say that they use the, um, you know, breathe, breathe in God and breathe out fear, but I've also heard this other person reference, you know, breathe in God and breathe out Eric. Mm-hmm. And yes. uh, that's kind of to get myself out of my head, that thinking, that's thinking, thinking. You know, I used to refer to it, and it was always good for a chuckle that, you know, when in, in the days before recovery took root in me, you know, I, I'd open my eyes and my hamster, the first image was my hamster strapping on his Nikes. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be off to the races, and there's nothing I could do to stop it in those days. But now I have tools, so... Uh, better. Thank you. All right. I'm going to read an email from Jane. She writes, as I work my way through the back catalog, I'm up to episode 41, which means I just listened to episode 35 on step eight last week. For you, that episode is two years in the past. For me, it's fresh in my mind. Ah, the magic of podcasting. In that episode, you shared a reading about a stone cutter. Then yesterday, I got an email letting me know that one of my favorite cartoonists had posted his newest work. Uh, Gavin Aung San illustrates inspirational quotes and posts them at zenpencils.com. And the quote he just did was the story of the stonecutter taken from the autobiography of Jacob Rees, who through his work as journalist tried to improve the conditions of the working class in New York City. Definitely an uphill battle and change didn't come quickly. Here's the quote. When it didn't seem to help, I would go and look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it would split in two. And I knew it was not that blow that did it, but all that had gone before together. And uh, there's a link to zenpencils.com slash comic slash stonecutter. I will put that link in the show notes. There's a Lots of good stuff on that site. I thought I would share that one with you because just like you, I was stuck by this idea, both hearing it in the podcast and seeing this comic and how it seems to describe a lot of what's going on in my life right now. Striking the rock over and over with no apparent effect, but trying to have faith that there will be a payoff eventually. Best, Jane. And and I do remember that that quote once she reminded me of it and I went and looked at the zenpencils.com and uh, there's a nice uh, nice comic that goes with it. Uh, I suggest checking it out. And some of the other things there as well. Um, Eric, thoughts on what Jane had to say? Yeah, no, I'd love it to be reminded of that story, uh, that working at something always doesn't yield immediate results. It takes time. You know, someone early referenced the idea of standing on a glacier and that the movement when standing is imperceptible. 
but over time, if we were to go away and come back, uh, you can see that the formation has moved, the rocks have shifted and drifted, and there has been change. And that's kind of back to the concept of dating my notes and my readings and looking myself in the mirror back to when I was, where I was, and seeing that I've changed. It's it's helpful because living in it um, one day at a time, hopefully, is hard to see that we've made progress, but it's important to take note that we actually have. Mm-hmm. And I want to uh, thank people who left reviews in iTunes during the past month. There was one that really stood out for me uh, by Ali. Uh, I wonder if you can read that, Eric. Sure. This podcast eased my transition to Al-Anon last November when I decided to try out the recommended six meetings before I made a commitment to the program. I was able to listen to a variety of perspectives on the program and personal stories in the comfort and privacy of my home, my walks, my car, wherever. I could plug in my earbuds. It really is like a meeting in your pocket. It's perfect for someone who's shy like me and would like to listen a lot before contributing to a fellowship. As I've gotten more involved in Al-Anon, I go to a regular weekly meeting and now have a sponsor. Hooray. The podcast is still a constant in my week. Now, sometimes I want to hear what Spencer and co-hosts are up to in the recent episodes, and other times I use the topic search on the website to find a thoughtful discussion on an experience or aspect of the program or steps I need insight on. This is an excellent podcast with an organized format of discussion around the topic and updates on host and co-host past week in recovery. The second part really helps me understand that the ways people implement recovery into their schedules vary and that respecting individual differences is key to our recovery. Thanks, and keep up the great work. And and thank you, Ali. Uh, this, I mean, this is just such an excellent review because it really, um, you know, states how you found value in the podcast uh, tells people who are thinking about listening to it what they might expect when they're hearing, and it's also, um, I, it, I am grateful for the uh, the feedback here that the way in which uh, I have structured the podcast, uh, which I have to give credit, is really based on uh, my uh, my mentor in podcasting, uh, Mark, with his podcast Recovered at recoveredcast dot com the way in which he structured his podcast with conversation and then sharing about uh, how recovery is working in our lives. And, and I brought that forward and I'm, I'm really glad to hear that it both of both parts of the podcast are working for you as I had hoped they would work for people listening. Thank you. iTunes reviews and ratings help to make us easier to find by those in need who are seeking recovery. If you're concerned about anonymity, you can just give us a rating without writing a review and your identity will not be shown. Uh, So I'd like to encourage you, if you find value in the podcast, to go over to iTunes and leave us a little review or give us a a rating and keep us uh, high up in the search results for a recovery podcast. Thank you. But only good reviews, please. Uh, You know, we've gotten one... We got one one star review so far, um, and uh, well, here, here's one right here, Spencer. You suck. <laughs> anonymous. Yeah, anonymous, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that one said these people need to get a life, and I was like, okay. 
There you go. Uh, probably yeah. an alcoholic. Well, we're, no. we're, um, <laughs> we're, working, we're working on that. <laughs> we're working on getting a life. We absolutely are. That's why we're, we're here. We're working on that. I'm glad That's you have one here. and you don't need us. All right. Right. Um, yeah. And we have to laugh at it, right? It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly just like Michelle, Sarah, and Alice did. And thank you again, Michelle, Sarah, and Alice, for your generous contributions. We have a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link on the page. And it's also therecoveryshow.com slash books if you just want to go straight there. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, you will receive a small commission. And in fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. Costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. We also have links to books that are available for sale from Al-Anon directly. Uh, all of the money that, that you give there goes to Al-Anon. They don't have this uh, commission program like Amazon does. But uh, it would provide it as a service because uh, the literature is really valuable to us. Uh, and I recently got a letter from Amazon. I had to update all those links, which I did yesterday. Uh, so there was, I think, about a week where they went nowhere and they didn't even look like books. But they're back. If you tried in the first week of August and you just saw these weird little ads about something, uh, that was Amazon's way of saying, uh, you didn't do this thing when we said you needed to do it. And now we're just showing this little public service announcement because you need to fix your links, which I did. All right. So anyway, thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's listening, sharing the podcast with your friends, or financially. We are here for you. Last uh, song selection, and again, this was a tough choice. There were a lot of good alternatives. I chose Smile, uh, sung by Nat King Cole. And again, you can listen to the song at therecoveryshow.com slash 121. And I picked this song because it really speaks to me about recovery, about how um, you know, finding the ability to to laugh again, to smile again, um, can change the way in which I live my life, the way in which I perceive my life. Uh, and this is my personal experience that that coming to meetings um, and and working the program changed the way I felt about what was going on in my life, even when what was going on had not really changed. And, and here's the, the lyrics that speak to me of that at the beginning of the song. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by if you smile through your fear and sorrow. Smile, and maybe tomorrow, you'll see the sun come shining through for you. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. We did not talk about a problem we're facing today. Feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. 